We're in Matthew chapter 17 again this evening. We're going to begin reading from verse 1 and we're going to read uh, right on to, to verse 21 this evening. Matthew chapter 17 and we hear the word of the Lord from the opening verse. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them to tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic. And he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire, and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was instantly healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Well, please open your Bible in Matthew chapter 17. Uh, This evening, we're going to take a little while to reflect on the verses Mark 14 to 21. Just picked a couple of uh, words out of the text, uh, if you like a title for a sermon, those beautiful words of the Lord Jesus, bring him to me. 
And if you remember nothing else of this evening, if you just remember those four words, that will be sufficient of a blessing for you. Bring him to me. Well, if you're an ordinary Christian, which I reckon you probably are, you will have had situations in your life where you have been very afraid. You have been fearful. Perhaps for a whole host of reasons, and one of the reasons that a Christian can often be fearful is simply this. Will I be able to live out the Christian life amidst these difficulties, amidst this challenge that has come into my life? Will I be able to stand firm? Will I be able to cope with the trial that has come to meet me in the plans of God? Maybe as you come to worship this evening, you have some situation that you feel utterly unable for. We all have them in some form or other. Is that you tonight? I feel utterly unable for what is before me. Well, this passage of God's word this evening will bring you help. Matthew, Mark and Luke all record this event of the Lord Jesus delivering the young boy from the demon that had caused such havoc in his life. And Matthew and Mark and Luke, they always record this incident immediately following the transfiguration that we looked at this morning. You'll know that the gospel writers do not always necessarily follow the chronological order. Guided by the Spirit, they often bring in events that will uh, fit the particular theme that they're addressing. But all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke record this, bring these two events side by side. Some of the disciples, as we saw this morning, were up on the mountain. And some of the disciples were down in the valley. And this evening in our passage, we find even those disciples who've been up on the mountain are now coming down into the valley, down to the plain, from the spiritual heights to the spiritual lows, from the mountaintop experience down to earth with a bump. And that is a little picture, isn't it, of the Christian life? Maybe you find, I trust you do, that the Sabbath day for you is a day of great delight, of spiritual experience and joy. And then there's Monday morning. And the problems of this broken world meet you immediately. It's a wonderful, accurate picture of God's people. Times of delight and times of distress. Times of joy and times of sorrow, times of great faith, and times of little faith. Well, you can decide where you are this evening. Perhaps you're on the mountaintop. We give thanks to God for that. But perhaps you're in the valley with a seemingly insurmountable problem. Well, what happens in our paragraph this evening is that the Lord Jesus Christ meets his disciples down in the plain or in the valley... And he was training them. We're a bit, in Matthew chapter 17, we're in a section of Matthew's gospel where more and more the Lord was retreating from the worlds, withdrawing to be with his disciples and train them before his departure. And this event was a training moment 
for them. A moment of their failing would become a moment that later they would be thankful for, for in it they would be trained by God. Do you remember that? That sometimes in our Christian lives, when we failed, when we've stumbled, those can be the moments when the Lord is coming to train us for our tomorrows. All of the events of your past week and the week ahead, if God would spare us, are to shape us and mature us. The highs and the lows. So can I give you just two uh, big thoughts to hang your reflection on the word of God as you interact with the preaching this evening. We're going to think firstly about unable disciples. And then we're going to think secondly of the able, well super able, Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all then, let us think a little bit about the unable disciples. We saw this morning that some of the team of men were up on the mountain having a wonderful experience. Down in the valley, however, on the plain, things were entirely different. Another part of their group, for them, things were very difficult. And again, there's a little picture in that, isn't there? Even in, in a church, well, here's, here's a little microcosm of the church in this group of disciples in the church's New Testament format as it was beginning its New Testament formats. And here are some disciples for whom life is full of the joys on the mountain and for others full of the difficulties of living in the world. That's perfectly normal in Christ's church. And as the mountaintop party return, they're soon up to speed with what has been transpiring down in the plain. A distraught father, some of you men can perhaps reflect a little bit on what it must have been like for this father. This father comes and he pleads for his son. Verse 14. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to them and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, or he has seizures, and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. ESV translates this epileptic. Literally the word is that uh, moonstruck. Uh, if you know the old King James for this passage, uh, he's referred to as a lunatic. Not in a negative way that we would use that word in the 21st century. Uh, but you'll notice the word lunar even in the word lunatic. And... Uh, meant to be struck by the moon and this boy's condition appeared to have been affected by the phases of the moon and that's why the word is used here. The ESV uh, expands on a little, he is an epileptic, they're, they're thinking of uh, conditions of this boy. What a terrible situation he was in with these repeated seizures, moonstruck. Uh, but it's much more than the moon, isn't it? Uh, verse 18 tells us there that the Lord Jesus cast out the demon. So here's a situation for this boy that either because of the demonic activity, uh, he, he was in this situation or that demonic activity exaggerated his condition. Whatever it was, 
His situation was humanly impossible. When Mark's recording this, he adds in Mark 9 and 18 that it made him mute, that it would throw him down, that he would foam at the mouth and be rigid. Mark also adds in 9.21 that he was like this from childhood. Was he now 11, 12 or an early teenager? Luke adds in 9.37 that he was this family's only child and that the boy cried out. Well, it's impossible for us to imagine, but think about it. Think of the trauma for this family. Always watching. Waiting for the next batch of burns, dislocations, and the weeks of recovery. Never ever a night's sleep. Always listening for the thud. Always listening for the crying out of his voice. Imagine that. Imagine the trauma for this boy. But the age... Probably some of you older boys, this boy in the passage tonight. Imagine the scars he must have had. The pain that he must have endured. The fear. The anxiety in that young heart. However, the family's hopes were raised, weren't they? Jesus Christ of Nazareth was in the vicinity. They'd heard about him. However, at this moment, he is absent. He has gone with a little group up to the mountaintop. But although he's absent, his disciples are there, at least some of them, nine of them. And no doubt they'd heard all of the reports that these men, of the activity of these men and their missionary trips when the Lord sent them out with, uh, with ability to heal and cast out demons. No doubt word had, had got to them. And they have come to the disciples for help. But to no avail. For we're told in verse 16 of our passage that the father said, And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not or were not able to heal him. They were not able. Unable. The word that's used in the original, we get our word dynamite from. They had no power to do anything. Later on, the disciples asked the Lord Jesus why they drew a blank. Verse 19, you'll uh, see it there. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not? Why were we not able? Why did we have no dynamite, no power to cast it out? And the answer was very simple. If you look at verse 20, the Lord Jesus says to them, because of your little faith. And it means they're your poor faith. Despite all of their previous successes in casting out demons and healing the sick, this time for these men, there was nothing. I wonder why that was. Were they caught out by the severity of the case? Were were they traumatized by this little boy foaming, grinding, crying out? Had they 
a well-used formula of words that this time just seemed to be so useless. I, I, I can picture these nine men each taking their turn. Well, let me have a go. And nothing. Not a single thing. Why no power? Well, the clue to the real deep reason is in their question in verse 19. Look at it again. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And the we there is emphatic. Why could we not? Why were we not able? And that was the reason for their little power and their little faith. Their thoughts and their thinking were on themselves. Why could we not do it? Their reliance was upon themselves. They'd done it before. They tried it again. Why could we not do it? And it seems that these men, these for the moment, had forgotten that without him they could do nothing. They'd forgotten what the psalmist says, that unless the Lord builds the house, the builders build in vain. They had little faith. And can't we be like them? Little faith. You see, little faith, according to this passage, is when we rely on ourselves. When we're turned in on ourselves and rest our hopes in our crises on our experience, on our skills, on our resources, or on our ability. Can't we be guilty? We can do it so often. Instead of looking to the Lord, we look to ourselves. Maybe for you this evening, you have some trouble as a Christian. And could it be that you're like these men with too much trust in yourself? It not only happens us as individuals, it happens us as families. Well, we've got the resources to deal with this. We're a strong family. It can happen to us as congregations. It can happen to us as denominations. Well, we've got a great history. We've got rock-solid truth. We've had it for years. We, we, we. And perhaps at times we see little of his mighty power and we are unable because we're looking to ourselves. And the Lord was teaching these men this vital lesson that his disciples can be utterly unable when their eyes are not on him. So think about your situations. Where is it in your life that there just seems to be no power? Could this be the reason? Too much trust in ourselves. Well, the Lord Jesus was teaching his men their inability. And it would be very sad for us just simply to leave this passage at, at this and for us to sing and go home. Because the Lord Jesus, more than that, 
He was training these men of his super ability. So we've reflected a little bit of the unable disciples. But we want to see the able Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's actually the focus of this passage. This is not a passage of the scripture that's there in the Bible to beat the believer up. So that you and I could go away feeling utterly distraught. I am an unable disciple. Well, we are. But that's not where it's to leave us. It is to make us look to the super able Jesus Christ. Most commentators, when they comment on this passage, say this is all about the lessons of the the faith of disciples and uh, their inabilities. Well, I, I beg to differ. It is more a lesson in the one in whom we're to trust in our able Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Christian, this evening, this passage is telling you and and me that for everything that is happening in our lives, he is able. You're not, I'm not, we're not, but he is able. And just take a little look at him as he's revealed to us in this passage. Look at this able Christ. He's no mere man. He is the God-man. He is the eternal Son of God made flesh. And we can see here in this event and the record of it, his humanity. If you look at verse 17. We're told there, Matthew records the words of Jesus, and Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. Well, can't you hear the tone of the voice of Jesus Christ in the words? They're written for us to hear the tone in which he has spoken them. It's the tone of grief. It's the tone of disappointment. He felt it. He had been with these men a number of years by this stage. They had seen him. They knew who he was, confessed who he was. And he is grieved at the reality of their situation in that perfect human nature. Jesus Christ was pained by the situation of his disciples. Maybe you come to worship this evening. And you've got overwhelming disappointment in your life. Maybe you've got grief in the circumstances of your life. You've got intense pain about them. Maybe you have a heavy heart that things in your life have not transpired as you would have hoped they had. And you say, is there anyone able to understand me? Well, here's the Lord Jesus Christ in that perfect human nature. And he's grieved, he's pains with the things that have transpired. There's one able to sympathize with us in our every weakness. So here he is in his perfect humanity. But when he says the words of verse 17, it is not only his perfect humanity that we're reminded of. For we're reminded here too of his divine nature. There's a ring of his divinity here. These words that he says, and 
you see in a moment who he was saying them to, they sound very like the voice of God in the Old Testament. In Numbers chapter 14 and 26, for example, the Lord says about the, the little faith of his people, how long will they not believe in me? Seems very like what Jesus was saying here. It says in Isaiah 46 verse 12, the voice of God said, Listen to me, you stubborn of heart. So who's this one who's able? Well, it is the Lord Jesus Christ, that divine person, with that perfect human nature and his divine nature. And he is more than able for all your and my inabilities. See his divine nature again, if you look at the words of verse 18. Told that this father has his little boy, and the boy is brought, and he's possessed of the evil spirit, and Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. That was the mountain-like situation for, for the family, for the disciples, and the Lord Jesus in an instant moves it from, from one place to the other, in his might and in his power. Satan's minion has been dispatched. This little boy is completely healed. You imagine what that must have been like for this family. All the brokenness that had transpired in his life to this moment, all gone. He, he's healed. Because it's the mighty Lord Jesus Christ who is there. You see, Christian, there's nothing in your life and there never will be or never could be anything in your life that he's not able for. These men were unable, but he is able. He has the dynamite, the power. You know some of those great verses that speak of his ability? In 2 Corinthians 9 and 8, he is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He's able, he has the power. It's the same word as their inability and his ability to do it. He is able to make all grace abound to you. That, that goes for your life tomorrow. The good work that's set before you in your, in your calling of life, whatever it might be, could be going to your work, it could be, Caring for a, a, an unwell relative. And you wonder, how will I be able for this? Well, he's able to make all grace abound to you. Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 3 and 20, he's able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. I'm sure you're like any other ordinary congregation. You're at times overwhelmed with your inability. But Jesus Christ is none of it. He, he's able to do far more abundantly than you can think or imagine as a congregation. He's able. Writer to the Hebrews tells us that he's able to help those who are being tempted. Is that you this evening? You have this sense that I, I am so unable for this temptation that comes to me over and over. I lose it so often. Cross when I ought not to be. He's able. 
to help those who are being tempted. Jude writes in verse 24, he's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Of ourselves, we're utterly unable. We've got no dynamite. We've got no power to be able to persevere from the end to the end. But he's able. He's able to take you through the path of life that he's plotted for you. He's able to give you all grace. And he's able to keep you from stumbling. And he's going to present you blameless and spotless in his presence. You're going to get there. Because he's able. Hebrews 7 and 25, he is able to save to the uttermost all who call on him. Maybe that's a verse for someone here this evening. You're not yet saved. You know all the truths of the gospel. You've heard them over and over. You think, well, I could never keep going in this Christian life. Well, you'd be right. You'd have no ability to do it. But he's able. You've no ability yourself to come to Christ, but he's able to give life and light where there's none, and he's able to save to the uttermost right to the end. You see, that's where we, where we keep our eyes. Not on us, but on the one who is able. So we look at him. And then this morning, you remember in our passage, we heard the voice from heaven, the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Well, let's listen to him. He had a word of rebuke, didn't he, in verse 17. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Who was it to? Who was this rebuke for? Well, it was certainly for the religious leaders, faithless, twisted generation. Mark tells us in Mark 9 and 14 that at this moment when Jesus came back down the mountain that the leaders were arguing with the disciples. Were they gloating over it all? They couldn't do it. Not much of a saviour that they're following. Was it directed at them, these words of rebuke of Jesus Christ? Yes. Was it directed to the crowd and their obtuseness with all the evidence that they'd had and their misunderstanding? Probably yes too. Was it for the nine disciples who'd been trusting in themselves? Yes, most likely for all of them. And for some, like the, like the scribes and the Pharisees, religious rulers, it was condemnation. And for others, it was a gracious and timely Correction. You see, the Lord Jesus was saying that when we're not looking at him, we're, we're, we're twisted. In other words, we're, we're turned away from him. That's what these men were. They, were. they were twisted and turned away from the Lord Jesus Christ to themselves. And they were faithless. They weren't looking to him. So turned in in their troubles. So turned in their challenges and not looking and listening to Jesus Christ. Don't, well, you answered for yourselves. I know that I often need this rebuke. I presume you do too. And none of us want to grieve our Savior. He had a word of rebuke and he had a word of encouragement. In verse 20 of 
this passage. He says at the end of it, well, I read it all. He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Well, it was a word of encouragement, isn't it? What did it mean? Uh, for these men with little faith, eight out of the nine had saving faith. Judas Iscariot didn't. The eights with their little faith had a faith that saved, for even little faith as long as it's in Christ saves. And the Lord Jesus was correcting them. He was wanting them to no longer have poor or little faith. And he says that, he says here that this faith that's like the grain of mustard seed, it is mighty and powerful. Well, we've been told, haven't we, in listening to the parable of the grain of mustard seed, that the mustard seed is a little tiny seed. But the mustard seed is something that grows and develops. And the Lord Jesus was calling his disciples here to rest all their hopes and confidence in him. How does mustard seed faith show itself? What does mustard seed faith that moves mountains look like? Obviously not literally moves mountains. It's a, it's a picture of mighty things done for God that God desires to have done. What does it look like? Well, if you're following in your Bible, perhaps your Bible translation is a little footnote. Uh, this kind never comes out but by prayer and fasting. It's a little footnote in our Bibles because most likely that was a, a scribe at some stage who appears to have added in a little bit of Mark into the Matthew accounts, but most of the manuscripts that certainly the ESV is based on, they don't have that. Because Matthew has his own way of saying the same thing. Uh, and it's only Matthew that does this in verse 15 when he's describing the Father. This man comes, he kneels before him and he said, Lord, have mercy on, on my son for he has seizures and he suffers terribly for, from them. You see what this man was doing? He wasn't looking at himself. He was casting himself completely on the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark even records that uh, this father says, help me in my unbelief. So this father was displaying mustard seed faith by casting himself before the Lord. By my only hopes in your ability, I have none, we have none, but you have it all. So this mustard seed faith, what is it? Well, it is a faith that prays and prays and prays and prays and prays. And we're to listen to him. The Lord Jesus says to the Father and to those who are around about, about this young boy, bring him to me. It was the Lord Jesus saying to this family, bring to me your mountain-like problem. Bring him to me. Keep on bringing him to me. 
And it's the call to you and to me, Christian, this evening to bring to Jesus Christ the one who is power and strength and ability beyond measure, bring all our mountains to him. For those of you who are Christian parents this evening, well, you've got a mountain, don't you? You've got a mountain of raising your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. What bigger challenge could there be? Will you be able for that in your own strength? For all the ups and downs of family life, all the challenges, all the tears, all the heartache as well as the joys, will you be able? I tell you, no, you won't. But Jesus Christ is able. Have you some great disappointment in your family? It's this great mountain. Is it some of your children who have grown up and they've not yet come to Jesus Christ? And for you it's the greatest mountain of all. And the Lord Jesus says to you this evening, you bring that mountain to me. And you keep on bringing it to me. Perhaps your mountain this evening is some struggle in your own life with your health, physical health, mental health. And he says to us, you, you bring that to me. It's not always that he takes it away, but he will always give grace. Bring him to me. Maybe for you as a body of God's people, well, you've got a mountain. Every congregation does. Mountain of a world around about us that's lost. It's without God and without hope in the world. We are utterly unable for it. But Jesus says, you bring your mountain-like situation to me because he's able. He's able. So whatever it is this evening that you feel utterly overwhelmed, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he's calling you this evening. Bring it to me. Keep on bringing it. For I have all power and all strength. Maybe you listen this evening and you're not yet a Christian. Well, I say this to you. Aren't you drawn to Jesus Christ as he's revealed in this word? Aren't you drawn to this one who has the power over all things? This one who's going to die on the cross and be raised from the dead? And he can do all that's necessary in your life for you to be fit for heaven. You can't, but he can and for you, Christian, let us go out into the world in this week, not with our eyes twisted in on ourselves, but with our eyes looked up, looking up to him who is able for all our mountains. Amen. Well, let's stand together as we pray. Father, we thank you for our Saviour, Jesus Christ the one whom, to whom you've given all authority in heaven and earth, the one who's able for all. Father, we thank you that how gracious and tender he was with these disciples, training them, reminding them of their own inability, but reminding them of his superability. Father, forgive us. We have been often like them, faced with the mountain we've looked to ourselves, our strength, and our resources, our experience. Forgive us our folly. 
Father, thank you for this revelation of your Son, utterly able for the most impossible situations, for the mountains of our lives. And so, Father, in our hearts, we bring to you our mountains tonight. For some of your people, it's a mountain of fears for tomorrow of their health or the needs of loved ones or those whom they love dearly and they're not yet converted. And we bring them all to you, mighty Lord, for you're able. Will you give us grace to have our eyes constantly turned up to you? Oh, Father, we thank you that your, that your Son in his might and power is able to transform and to change the mountain and able to give us grace for as long as you would have that mountain in our pathway. So will you give us grace, mighty God, to respond to the voice of heaven that we heard this morning. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. We bless you for his voice that says to us tonight, Bring him to me. Bring him to me. So will you help us, Lord, with that in the week that lies ahead. For the glory of your name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.